Uh, let me pray, and then we'll jump straight into Hebrews chapter 4. Let me pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have not left us in darkness. We thank you that you do give us your word so that we might rightly know what it looks like to live for you and to please you and to give you glory, which we were created for. So we ask for your help this morning in listening. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen. Well, uh, a couple of weeks ago, as we looked at uh, the end of Hebrews chapter 2, I spoke about our world's fear of death. Uh, you might remember, you know, we, we don't like to talk about death. Uh, our world prefers to ignore death. But it's pretty easy to see when you look around at our world that it does fear death. Uh, you just need to take the time to look. The, the precautions we take, uh, the safety measures we apply, the, the routine medical checkups, all that we've seen with, with COVID, they're there is a real fear of death. It's there to be seen. And at one level, fair enough. Uh, of course there's a fear of death. No one, no one wants to die. And you know those YouTube videos uh, of those building jumpers and those extreme kind of parkour jumpers? I don't know if you've seen it before, but there are usually young men on top of, you know, 50-story buildings, and they jump from one thing to the other. And as you watch that clip, you know that if their foot slips, they fall. Uh, it spells the end of their lives. And what do we say of the people who do that? Uh, to put it bluntly, we say they're, they're idiotic. They, they've got this death wish. No one in their right mind would want to die. No one in their right mind would so flippantly risk death. It's, it's natural for us to fear death. And even more so when we saw what we did two weeks ago, and more so when we remember what follows death. And uh, we'll see this in a few weeks as we get to Romans, uh, to Hebrews chapter 9. But it says, all people are destined to die once and after that, face judgment. Fear God and give an account to him. Face God, give an account to him for your life. And so death, it is a very fearful thing. Uh, we saw this a couple of weeks ago, uh, particularly when we remember that what comes next is God's judgment. But what we saw in chapter 2 is that for those who trust in Jesus, we no longer need to fear death. That was the great joy. Uh, obviously, we don't invite it. We don't kind of join the local parkour club and do backflips off moving trains. But uh, ultimately, we need not fear. That, that's the joy that we have after our earthly death. What comes? Salvation. Uh, after our earthly death, what comes? We get to be with Jesus in perfection, in the new creation. But does that mean there is no place for fear in the Christian life? If the message two weeks, two weeks ago was we don't need to fear death, does that mean there's no place for fear in the Christian life? It's a strange, it's a strange question. Because the motivator in the Bible, when you think of the Bible's motivators that it gives us, is often love, isn't it? It's our love for God that drives us to live for Him. Uh, it's God's love for us and our knowledge of His love that drives us to live for Him. Love is the predominant motivator in the Bible. But this chapter, chapter 4 of Hebrews, it speaks of fear as a motivator. And not a motivator in a negative sense. Again, like we saw two weeks ago, that the fear of the judgment of God, it's, it's a fearful thing to fall in the hands of the living God. Hebrews chapter 10, we'll see that when we get to it. But here it's, a, it's in a positive sense, a fear of missing out sort of sense. Uh, a FOMO kind of fear, which is kind of out of vogue now. You don't see kind of the, the FOMO memes anymore like you used to. But, but that is what this chapter is all about. It's about the Christian having a healthy fear of missing out. 
And not missing out on, on you know, that party that you didn't get invited to, not missing out on Bitcoin stocks, which was all the rage, though good luck now, it's pretty rubbish. But, uh, but a fear of missing out on what Hebrews chapter 4 calls God's rest. So if you're not there already, turn with me to Hebrews chapter 4 and let me show you what I mean. Look at verse 1. Hebrews chapter 4 from verse 1. It says this, Therefore, while the promise to enter his, God's rest remains, let us fear that none of you should miss it. And as Phil's already alluded, this brings us back to what we saw last week in chapter 3. Because part of the point from chapter 3 was to show how Israel of old, how Israel in the time of Moses, they missed out. That they missed out on the promised rest that God had promised them. A whole generation of them missed out. Why? Well, if you just look at the end of chapter 3, just a verse before, end of chapter 3, why did they miss out? Because of unbelief. And part of the warning here for chapter 4 is, be careful that you too don't miss out. That's the warning for us this morning. And we'll think about uh, what God's rest is in a moment, but the first thing we need to do is learn from Israel's unbelief. And I don't know if you had this uh, similar discussion in your gospel teams during the week, but in my uh, gospel team, as we looked at chapter 3, we talked about how easy it is to look back on the people of Israel and just think them fools. Just put yourself in their shoes, okay? You're uh, Israel in the time of Moses. God's just brought you out of the land of uh, of Egypt. Uh, He's brought you out of that land of slavery. And what have you seen? You've seen all the wonders of God. You've seen God act in those, those plagues against Egypt. You've seen God bring darkness over the whole land. You've seen God make such a clear distinction between Israel and his people in the land of Egypt. You've seen the, the parting of the Red Sea. You've seen all those things. And yet what happened with Israel right after they saw all those wonders of God? Do you remember? You might have saw this uh, through the week in your gospel team. They grumbled. God had, had worked in them all these wonders for their salvation. And then once they were out of Egypt, they grumbled against God. They whinged about Moses. Uh, Caleb and Joshua, again, you might have seen this during the week. They, they said to all of Israel, they said to Israel, let's trust God. Let's trust him. We've seen his powerful works in Israel. Let's trust him. He's promised us this land of Canaan, this land flowing with, with milk and honey. Let's, let's go take it. Let's trust God. And what did Israel do when Caleb and Joshua said that? They, they tried to stone them because they said, let's trust God and his promises. And so we can look back on Israel and we can think just well, how foolish, how unbelieving. God had worked all these wonders for them in Egypt, and now you don't trust him. How foolish. And yet, how easy it is for us to forget those greater wonders that God has done in Jesus for us. I don't know if you remember the time when you first grasped the gospel in its fullness, when it, when it first dawned on you that Jesus died for you. Uh, it might have been gradual for you, but do you remember that moment when you just, you just grasped the gospel? Uh, when, when you just, it dawned on you that the Son of God knows you by name, your name, that, that he actually gave his life for you. Do you remember the, the weight and awesomeness of that truth when it first struck you? Uh, I remember it for me, it was a bit of a gradual thing, but I remember when it first struck me in all its fullness, I called my best mate, he wasn't a Christian, uh, I ranted to him on the phone for 40 minutes about Jesus, 
I was 17. 17-year-old boys do not call other boys to speak on the phone for 40 minutes. But that's how struck I was by how great this love of God was for me and Jesus, his son. And yet what happens as life goes on? See, what happens with the daily grinds of our lives? What happens with the unceasing busyness as it takes over? Well, we can forget. We can forget that great wonder of what God has done in Jesus, his son. And then we can lose the trust that we have in the promises of God that waits in the future for us. See, have a look at verse 2, chapter 4, verse 2. The Hebrews writer, he says this, For we also, he's talking to the first readers there, but the Christians in a sense, For we also have received the good news just as they, Israel of old, did, but the message they heard did not benefit them since they were not united with those who heard in faith. Now, what that's saying, what's that saying? Well, there's a contrast there being uh, drawn between Israel of old in the time of Moses and the New Testament Christian. And the point the Hebrews writer is making is, as you look at Israel of old, that they were given the promise, the promise of rest in the promised land. And again, we'll think about what that rest is in a moment. But the, the contrast is, you believers now, you new Christian believers, you've been given a promise as well. You've been given that same promise of rest. But look again at verse 2. Because that message of promise was of no benefit to Israel of old. Why? Because they failed to believe and live in light of that message of promise. Not one of the Israelites of that generation entered God's rest, except for Caleb and Joshua. And so in the contrast, the warning is, be careful. Be careful you don't end up like them. Be careful that you now, New Testament believers, don't fail to believe and live in light of God's promise. Otherwise, you will end up like them. They they forgot the promise. They didn't live it out. They never entered the rest. You've got the promise just like them. Make sure you live it out. Otherwise, you'll miss out just like them. And so the writer of Hebrews, he's warning his readers, learn from Israel of old. Uh, It's stronger than that, actually. It's don't be so naive and think that you too cannot miss out on God's rest. They did. And they saw all the wonders of God in Egypt and they still missed out. So don't be so naive to think that you can't miss out. So you should fear lest you miss out. But to understand this better, we need to understand what this rest actually is. And uh, we can't follow the logic in close detail this morning, but do it in your gospel teams through the week. But the way this chapter talks about God's rest and the way the Bible talks about God's rest as a whole is in four interrelated ways. And the very first one we get in the Bible was actually in our reading from Genesis 2. And it's quoted there in verse 4. So have a look at verse 4. On the seventh day, God rested from all his works. So that's the first way the Bible talks about rest. And in a way, that is what humanity is ultimately created for. We're created for that rest, for that Sabbath, that ultimate Sabbath rest of being with God for all eternity. Uh, that is what the Sabbath day points to, humanity being with God, worshipping him forever in perfection. But as we know, sin comes in, and so this idea of rest in the Scriptures, it changes. And by the time you get to Moses and the day of Moses, which is what we've been reading with the, the Psalm 95 quote the last two weeks... But by the time you get to the time of Moses, the promise of rest to Israel was actually about the land primarily. And it was rest from enemies. 
So if you remember that they were to go into the land and find rest in the land and rest from the enemies around them. No more war was the picture. And you can read all about that in Numbers and Deuteronomy and in Joshua 2. And in our passage, it's in verses 3 and 5 and 8. If you see those verses, that's talking about the the promised land sort of rest. That's what's being referred to. But the third way the Bible talks about rest is the way Jesus talks about it in Matthew chapter 11. And it's up on the screen. Matthew chapter 11 says this. Jesus says to us, Come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. And so the New Testament can talk about us having God's rest now. And if Jesus is your Lord and Savior, you have rest in him. You've, you've entered into God's kingdom already. And that might be the sense behind verse 10 in our passage. It could be that sort of sense of God's rest. But the fourth and the final way, uh, hopefully you're still with me. It's uh, John Chapman's old joke. You know, Put your hand up if you're asleep. Uh, put your hand up if you wish you were. Tune back in uh, if you've drifted. I know we've got to work in Hebrews. Every week we're going to have to work. So switch your brains on uh, extra uh, uh, as we come to church for Hebrews uh, in this time. But the fourth one is the main one. And the fourth one is the main one for this chapter in the way that it talks about rest. Because the fourth way the Bible talks about rest is in speaking about heaven. In speaking about the new creation rest. And really, the first three ways, they're a shadow pointing forward to the rest, the final new creation rest that God has in store for us. And you see that in the conclusion of verse 8 and 9. So let me show you the logic. Again, you have to explore it more during the week in gospel teams. But look at verse 8. See if you can follow along. Verse 8, For if Joshua had given them rest... That is, if the promised land in the time of Joshua, if that was the rest, and that's all there was, well then, God would not have spoken about another day, which he does in Psalm 95. He speaks about a rest still to come. So it couldn't have been just about the the land. And so verse 9, this is the key bit, verse 9, Therefore, a Sabbath rest remains for God's people. That is, the rest that God has created us and saved us to be a part of, it's still to come. It's future. It's the glory of the new creation. And so Hebrews is saying to us, fear, and again, hear the the strength of that, fear that none of you should miss out on that rest, on the, the new creation glory to come. Fear. But the question is, do we? do we? Do we actually fear missing out? And if not, why not? I wonder if uh, part of the problem for us is that we just don't stop to think about it. I wonder if part of the problem for us is we just don't stop to think about what the Bible has to say about rest. You see, how good does, does rest sound? Even the word, I think, sounds pretty good. Rest. Uh, Revelation 14, it tells us that those who die in the Lord Jesus, what will happen for them? They will rest from all their labors. Just imagine that. I don't know what kind of week you've had. What kind of week have you had? Uh, You've probably slogged away for 8, 10, 12 hours a day. You've probably battled with life admin, the bills that have come in, the paperwork, the medical appointments. You've had to manage multiple relationships, issues with your boss perhaps, 
uh, issues with a co-worker, maybe with your mother or your father or your husband or your wife. Uh, maybe you've been dealing with a sleepless baby or a troublesome teen. See, what kind of week have you had? What kind of month have you had? And just at that moment where you know, you're about to sit down, you know those, those days where you're, just, you're so tired and you go, all oh, right, I've got a free night. I can sit down. And just at that moment where you're about to, to sit down because there's no life chores that you have to do, well, in runs the dog covered with mud because, hey, who hasn't got mud in their backyard at the moment? And so you spend the next two hours cleaning the dog and cleaning the floor and cleaning yourself because you smell like a dog. If you don't have a dog, insert small child because small child goes in backyard, comes in with mud, puts it all over the house, spend two hours cleaning the house and the child and yourself because you smell like a child. Or whatever it is that those frustrations in life come in and they just exhaust us. And God says, in Christ Jesus, I promise you, rest. See, how's your week been? How's your 18 months of COVID been? God says rest. After all the labor of our days and our weeks and our years, God promises rest. Rest from the news of our world, the news of war, the, the news of disease, the news from shootings that we saw through the week, news from politics, if you're sick of it. And I haven't even reminded us of the best bit yet, because rest is rest with God. And again, I really do think that we don't grasp this enough of how good it will be to be with God. See, when's the last time you just thought about that day when you'll get to see God face to face and just reflected on it, fully in his presence for all eternity? Uh, If you've ever been away from your family for a a period of time, how much do you look forward to going home to seeing your family? How much do you look forward to seeing your husband or your wife or your kids or going back home to see mom and dad? You know that feeling you get when you see them when it's been a week or two weeks or even months or even years and you get to see them and you get to hug them and you smile with them? That feeling, as great and as excellent as it will be and as it is, that will pale into insignificance compared to seeing our God face to face in the new creation. To the joy we'll have when we are with him, resting from the sin and labors of this fallen world, will be unimaginable. I've probably, uh, I've probably quoted this song before, but it's a song called Home that speaks about this new creation rest. And the bridge says this, it's up on the screen. It, it goes like this in the song, I do not know what I will see when all my tears are wiped away, quoting Revelation 21, but I am sure that it will be the, the world that I was saved to see. And he, God, has said that I will know a joy beyond my deepest hope, a father's love, a saviour's peace, when I am truly home. You see, the scriptures don't tell us every bit of detail about this new creation rest, but God tells us that it will be so good, so good that it is beyond our deepest hope. We will see Christ face to face. And so we do not want to miss out on God's rest. We do not want to be like Israel of old in their unbelief. So we need to have a healthy fear, lest we miss out. Which leads to our second point and our second exhortation, and much more quickly now. Look at verse 11. Chapter 4, verse 11, in light of all this, let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest. And here, don't think of uh, the teenager version of make every effort. Many moons ago, when I was in my HSC year, my dad kept telling me, you know, make every effort 
You've got to make this count. Make every effort. Do well in your HSC year. And I kept saying, yeah, 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 I am. I will. Uh, and so I'd sit down with my books and the computer on in the background. And these are the days when instant messaging programs just kicked off. Does anyone remember ICQ? Yeah, a couple of head nods. Big distractions. And so make every effort for me very quickly became get distracted and chat online with mates. But yeah, 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 I am, Dad. I'm making every effort. But this is the tension. And this is the tension we need to feel in the book of Hebrews. The Christian life doesn't just happen to us. It's not a passive thing. The way the Hebrews talks about rest here, God's rest won't just happen to us. And yes, we are saved by God's grace alone. Yes, Jesus paid it all. We don't earn our salvation in any way. It's a work of God. But the restlessness of our world means every distraction exists to take us away from God. You see, we can hear this word of God to us, make every effort and be like, you know, teenage me. Yeah, 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 I am. But are we? See, the Christian life doesn't just happen. We are called to live it. We're called to make every effort to live it. And how do we do that? What does it look like to make every effort? Well, today, to quote uh, Psalm 95 and our passage from last week, today, as you, as we hear God's word, listen to him. And that's the point of verse 12 and 13. Have a look from verse 12. And we often take these verses out of context, but look at verse 12. For the word of God is living and active and sharper than any double-edged sword, penetrating as far as the separation of soul and spirit, joints and marrow, which is just to say that God's word, it cuts deeply, cuts precisely. But what else does God's word do? It's able to judge the ideas and thoughts of the heart. And so how do we know if, we're, if we have a healthy, a healthy fear of missing out on God's rest? And how do we know if we're making every effort to enter that rest? Well, God tells us. He tells us in his word. His word, it judges us. Do you ever think of God's word in that way as you read it, as you listen to it? It's, it's judging us, judging us as we hear it. And don't think of judge in only a negative way, uh, as in a, a negative judgment. Think more like a, uh, an Easter show judge. So if, so if you've ever been to the Easter show, you know those judges at the exhibits and um, you know, they're, they're the one-ton bulls. And so what does the judge do? The judge in, inspects the bull's coat and uh, the, the fat content of the bull and its hooves. I mean, I don't know. I'm just making it up. I, I guess that's what they look at. Uh, I, I just look at the cow and see tasty steak. Um, but, you know, the judges, that they'll nod their head and they'll say, yes, yes, very good, nice coat. Uh, keep going, uh, you know, that's good. Or they'll go, hmm, no, uh, I don't like that. You know, that's not good, you know, cross at that point. It's in that sense in which God's word judges us. And so today, as we hear God's word, it will judge us and it'll say, yes, keep going. You know, you'll read God's word and you'll be encouraged, so keep going. You're on the right path, keep making every effort. But at other times, we'll hear God's word and it'll say, no, stop doing that. We'll hear God's word and the call will be repent. It's not good what you're doing. Be careful lest you fall into the pattern of disobedience, lest you miss out on the rest. And brothers and sisters, better to be exposed now, better to have God's word reveal our hearts now than to be exposed on that last day. So look at verse 13. Verse 13, 
No creature is hidden from him, from God and his word, but all things are naked and exposed to the eyes of whom we must give an account. And so let God's word judge and expose the ideas of your thoughts and your heart now. Don't harden your heart like we saw last week. Don't tune out to God's word. Listen. Be changed by that word. Because if you choose to ignore God, well, on that last day, all will be laid bare. And on that last day, God will call us to give our word as to why we haven't listened to his word. And again, don't take this only in a negative way. This is a gift of God to us. He speaks to us today by his word. It's his word that helps us to have that healthy fear. Otherwise, we might miss out. It's his word that helps us to know what it looks like to make every effort. Otherwise, we're in the blind. W.H. Uh, Griffith Thomas, uh, he's an Anglican theologian in England in the uh, early 1900s. And he wrote this about this verse. It's up on the screen. He said... It's not too much to say that the Bible as the word of God is essential for every aspect of the spiritual life. It convicts of sin, it converts the soul, it cleanses the conscience, it consecrates the lives. Everything starts with C, that's what old Anglicans like to do, they like their alliteration. It corrects the wrong, it goes on, it confirms the right and it comforts and encourages the heart. The more, therefore, we can apply ourselves to the Bible, the better it will be for everything connected with our daily living. But there's one last point I want us to realize from this passage, and I'll finish with this. Because at this point, we might feel a bit of a heavy burden. Uh, It might feel as if we read this, uh, that it's quite a burden to bear. You know, you must fear missing out. You You must make every effort. You must fear, so make sure you don't. You must make every effort, so make sure you do. But actually, God doesn't leave us in the darkness. We've seen he gives us his word to help us. He gives us his spirit. But there's another great gift, and that is he gives us each other. You see, we don't do this alone. We do it together. And we saw this last week, but did you notice how the encouragement and exhortation here is let us. It's let us fear us. Uh, Let us make every effort. It's something we do together. And just look again at verse 11, because I think this is a a massive encouragement to us. Look at verse 11, because what does it say? It says, let us together make every effort. Why? So that not one, not a single one of us will fall into the same pattern of disobedience. That same pattern of, of disobedience that Israel fell into and so missed out. See, the mentality here is it's a leave no man, leave no woman behind. This is a job we do together. Let us together so that not one single one of us should miss out. And what a gift. What a blessing God gives us of each other. And we need each other. We really do, which is why we meet together on Sundays. It's why we meet together midweek in our gospel teams and it's more than that. It's whenever we, we meet together, whenever we, we message one another, I hope you do, whenever we pray for each other, whenever we call each other, we do that to help each other. And so we are fearful for one another. So when a brother or sister begins to be swept in by the sin of this world, we don't just go, oh, how sad. We fear for them. 
We make every effort for them as we do for ourselves to point them back to God and his word so that none of us, not a single one of us, should miss out. It's an odd thing to talk about fear in the Christian life, but when eternity is at stake, when being with God and seeing Christ face to face is the rest that awaits, I think we're right to fear lest we miss out. And so let all of us, all of us together, make every effort to stick with Jesus so that every single one of us enters that rest. Let me pray. Well, Heavenly Father, we thank you that you give us your words so that we know what it might look like to be reminded of the rest and fear missing out on how great it will be. And so we know what it is to make every effort. But most of all, we thank you also that you give us each other so that we can point each other to your word and back to you so that we might live for you in all that we do and enter that rest. This we pray for your help in, in Jesus' name. Amen. So any questions? And Bryn's got a mic, so just put your hand up and he'll bring it around to you. The question came up in the gospel team as we were looking at this passage about how do you read the exhortation to fear lest you miss out with the reassurance in Romans that nothing can separate us from the love of God. Yeah, yeah, great, thank you. I think it's, I think these, and Hebrews brings this up, there's lots of warning passages or they could get called warning passages throughout Hebrews um, and it Sometimes the question is, well, where's assurance if there's all these questions of, uh, of our assurance in Hebrews? You know, uh, uh, if you're not careful, if you don't make every effort, you know, let us fear, all those sorts of exhortations. Um, but I think it's a real gift from God. It's a tension we hold. We, we do have assurance. We know that uh, everything's done for us in Christ. Nothing can separate us from the love of Christ uh, that, that, that we have uh, in him. But at the same time, God gives means and I think part of his means in helping us persevere, in actually helping us stick with Christ, is these warning passages he gives us in Scripture, particularly Hebrews. Um, so I give a slightly different uh, illustration. You know, God causes the, the, the plants of the field and the, and, the, and the trees of the forest to grow, but he doesn't just kind of you know, click his finger and there it is, fully grown. God gives means. He, in his sovereignty, he gives the rain and he gives the sun and he gives soil and that creates this tree that grows well, it's the same with a Christian. We can have assurance that we belong to Christ, that we're saved in him, that we're being saved in him. But part of the means that God gives us to help us persevere and grow in Christ are these warnings, uh, are these uh, exhortations to make sure that we're sticking with Jesus. Um, another example is a speed sign. Um, this is probably saying more about me, but if I'm on a highway in the middle of the desert and the speed limit is 110 what keeps me sticking to 110 is more so the policeman that might pull me over rather than that's the rule. Uh, you see, we, we tend to want to break the rules. We tend uh, to want to live freely and do as we please. And so these warnings of scriptures, they're good for us. That They help us know what God's way is. Uh, they help us know that there's consequences for uh, turning our back on Christ or living a life that's licentious uh, and doesn't realize that, that we have to work at it. Um, I hope that helps, but it's a, it's a tension. And Hebrews is very heavily on that side of, you need to work at it. You need to be responsible, um, even though we know that in Christ we have that full assurance. Um, 
Hopefully that helps. Other questions? Yeah, Yvonne, friend, thanks, mate. Um, so this came up in our gospel team too, and I'm trying to think how to articulate it clearly, but um, when we were studying the last passage, it said that the Israelites will never um, enter rest. Yeah. Um, so given their pattern of believing, then not kind of thing. Does that mean even if they repented after God said you can't enter, um, that's it for them? They're like they're not in heaven at all, or you yeah, know, yeah, yeah. was yeah, there no. room for repentance and now they are? Yeah, no, good question. Uh, and again, it just we, we've got to keep remembering that the word God gives to His people in the Old Testament, and, and for us as we rightly understand the Old Testament, there are consequences for sin. Uh, God says, "My way is good. Trust me that my way is good." Uh, if you don't, there, there are consequences. And I think with the rest, it does, it does change, as in the, the, the promised rest for them was specifically the land, was specifically the promised land of Canaan. And none of that generation entered except for Caleb and, and Joshua. And so there was a consequence for their grumbling, for their disobedience. Um, but that doesn't mean there wouldn't have been others who might have repented from that sin and so will be part of the greater rest, uh, actually repented of what they did in their grumbling. And after God said, well, you're not going to enter my rest. This generation will fall. There could have been some still from that generation who repented. Um, so they still had that consequence of sin. You can't enter the promised land rest. But that doesn't mean that God might not still have saved them ultimately for the rest. Because there's still forgiveness. Um, they still received the law as well and the sacrificial system that came uh, after their, their, their grumbling. Um, does, that, does that help? But it's good to remember there's consequence for sin and you see that with uh, Israel in them not entering the promised land. All right, I think that's been awkward enough. I'll invite you back up, Phil.